0: All right, thank you, Tim, for leading us into God's presence. As we said last week, Jeremiah 24-7, we yearn for him. As we pause a moment to listen to the Holy Spirit, let's continue this practice of praying in the Spirit in your own time and, and listening, and after prayer, even maybe write down what you sense God's saying to you, maybe share it with your small group, small group leaders, you might be surprised to see how God can put together a picture. So we're just going to pause a moment, and then we're going to jump into the Word. Amen. So today, let's look at how do we stand in evil times? How do we leaven society as it wanders farther from the truth? Jeremiah tells us, as we've seen. Now, we're going to turn to a very fascinating section of Jeremiah chapters 26 to 29, which is the first uh, personal narrative, biographical section of the book. And what is interesting, if you know the Old Testament well, you think, well, I, I learned history from Kings and Chronicles, but actually, and uh, Samuel, but actually in these narratives in Jeremiah, we learn things about what's really going on in Judah and what it was like to live there in these times, more than we even do in the book of Kings. And today it will be one of these uh, really interesting And so uh, we're gonna, first of all, just kind of read through chapter 26 and uh, we'll just take it scene by scene and then we'll make some comments, okay? So I'm just gonna read, make a few comments and then we'll go back and kind of have a regular sermon. But I want you to hear the story, it's a a story. All right, so here we go. Jeremiah 26, verse one. Early in the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Stand in the courtyard of the Lord's house and speak to all the people of the towns of Judah who come to worship in the house of the Lord. Tell them everything I command you. Do not omit a word. Perhaps they will listen and each will turn from his evil way. Then I will relent and not bring on them the disaster I was planning because of the evil they've done. Say to them, This is what the Lord says. If you do not listen to me and follow my law, which I have set before you, and if you do not listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I have sent to you again and again, though you've not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh up north and this city an object of cursing among all the nations of the earth. So there's scene one, simple sermon, right? Uh, Tell them if they repent, God will relent, but if they don't, It's going to be just like it was. Shiloh was northern Israel, right? And their shrine was destroyed by uh, actually the Assyrians, all right? So he's saying, if you behave like northern Israel, southern Israel, which was Judah, is going to experience the same thing. That's scene one. Scene two, a mob. (laughs) Verse seven, the priests the prophets, and all the people heard Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord, verse 8. But as soon as Jeremiah finished telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say, the priests, the prophets, and all the people seized him. <coughs> said, you must die. Why do you prophesy in the Lord's name that this house will be like Shiloh and this city will be desolate and deserted? And all the people crowded around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. So it's a riot. They're just you can just picture it the way it's written here. Uh, they are reacting. You must die. You're a false prophet. You're a traitor to the nation. And uh, so hear this. Their false belief that Jerusalem, as David's city, could never fall led led them to reject God's warning. We'll we'll pick that up later. But their false belief causes them to come against Jeremiah. They have a closed system of false grace which locked them in deception. All right, scene three is the rest of the chapter, and this is Jeremiah's trial. So listen carefully and maybe pull out your Bible. Uh, So we got Jeremiah, then notice in verse seven, it's the priests, the prophets, and quote, all the people. Now a different group shows up, verse 10. When the officials of Judah, different group, heard about these things, they went up from the royal palace to the house of the Lord and they took their places at the entrance of the new gate of the Lord's house. This is where people would do judicial decisions, right? So these are officials from the royal palace. That means these are actually uh, part of, you might say, uh, Jehoiakim's evil king, his cabinet, right? These are his officials. Oh, okay. What are they going to think? So then the priests and the prophets, verse 11, then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and all the people, well, this man should be sentenced to death because he's prophesied against this city. You've heard it with your own ears. So now Jeremiah's going to give him a little defense. Verse 12, then Jeremiah said to all the officials and all the people, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the things you've heard. Now, reform your ways and your actions and obey the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent and not bring disaster that he's Pronounced against you. As for me, I'm in your hands. Do what you think is good and right. Be assured, however, that if you put me to death, you will bring the guilt of innocent blood on yourselves and on the city and on those who live in it. For in truth, the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these things in your hearing. Well, these officials show their mettle. Verse 16 Then the officials and all the people, notice all the people, noticed all the people. Where are they going? They're going back and forth. First they follow the priests, then they follow the officials. They're kind of all over the place. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, this man should not be sentenced to death. He's spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. So there was some reference there. Now a third group shows up, or a fourth group is called the people as a group. This is, these are guys that, um, they're the elders of the land, this would be, uh, village elders from around Judah that have come for whatever reason to the central uh, bureaucracy and uh, to get justice or to bring some kind of case. And so they say, some of the elders of the land stepped forward and said to the entire assembly of the people, Micah of Moresheth, now, this is of the prophet in the minor prophet, right? A generation earlier, he's a contemporary of Isaiah. So this is about a hundred and more than a generation, about 150 years earlier, right? Uh, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. He told all the people of Judah, This is what the Lord Almighty says Zion will be plowed like a field, Jerusalem will become like a heap of rubble, the temple heal a mound overgrown with thickets. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, or anyone else in Judah put him to death? Did not Hezekiah fear the Lord and seek his favor? And did not the Lord relent? so that he did not bring the disaster he pronounced against them. We're about to bring a terrible disaster on ourselves. So this is fascinating, right? The officials of Judah, the the priests and the prophets call for the death penalty. They listen and they say, wait a minute, there's a prophetic voice here. Then the elders of the land come forward, cite Micah 3.12 and the very situation previously that has caused these people to think that uh, the eternal security of, of Jerusalem doctrine. That's very interesting. Now, one other little fact. Then we get a little parenthetical remark that shows us how serious this is in parentheses. Now, Uriah son of Shemaiah, from Kiriath-Jerim was another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord. He prophesied the same things against this city and this land as Jeremiah did. When King Jehoiakim and all his officers and officials heard his words, the king sought to put him to death, but Uriah heard of it and fled in fear to Egypt. King Jehoiakim, however, sent Elnathan, son of Akbar, to Egypt, along with some other men, so they chased him down. They brought Uriah out of Egypt, took him to King Jehoiakim, who struck him down with a sword, and his body was thrown to the burial place of the common people. So the, the, the author's telling us, you know, Jeremiah is not play-acting here. This could be the end of his life. One last little verse, verse 24. Furthermore, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, supported Jeremiah so that he was not handed over to the people to be put to death. So the people are flipping again here. Very, very interesting. It's worth reading yourself, and I want you to read it and get a feel for the factions. Sometimes we think, oh, okay, well, you, you know, uh, Israel had or Judah had some good years, good king, everything's great. and Then they have a bad king, everything's bad. But, but what we see here is there are factions, there are people loyal, there are some good people, there are some people that are compromised, and they're all mixed up together. And so we see they're kind of swirling around in this uh, trial of Jeremiah. So what can we learn from this tumult? Let's see. God responds to us, but how does God respond to us? Well, several ways God responds to us. The first response, God does respond to hardness with judgment. The priests and the court prophets know that when Assyria surrounded Jerusalem over 100 years earlier during the rule of Hezekiah, that God supernaturally delivered Jerusalem. You may have read the story. They're surrounded and... uh, Hezekiah prays and they wake up in the morning and there's nothing but dead bodies. And it was the end of the strength of the Assyrian Empire. It took a few more years for them to actually fall apart. And so Judah, many in Judah, took that experience and the promise that God made to David and they said, see, Jerusalem will never fall. Jerusalem is eternally secure no matter what, because God has promised it. Well, in chapter 26, 5 and 6, remember he tells the story of Shiloh and he explains that northern Israel and they had a shrine where they worshiped at Shiloh, they also had a covenant with God and they violated their covenant and God devastated Israel. Shiloh. So Jeremiah is exegeting the situation and saying there are two sides to a covenant. When God's people abandon God, they move outside the protection of covenant and are liable to devastation. So what we learn is that God's people can become hardened with sin and be judged. And as we said last week, look at church history when the church hardens and there's no repentance and it becomes habitual and a critical mass to the people of God, God has to raise up a remnant and a, a whole church movement is set aside. Keep your heart soft with a trusted friend. Deal radically with compulsive sins. You got to get rid of your smartphone, do it. And then deal with the roots because God responds to hardness with judgment in his mercy. But there's another way that God responds to us. The second way God responds to us He responds to softness with mercy. So let's look at the elders in Jeremiah 26, 17 again. They come forward and they mention Micah of Moresheth. So here's what's interesting. The prophets and the priests are actually this experience with with, uh, Hezekiah and this deliverance from Assyria. But so are the village elders. They're both using Scripture. They're both interpreting Scripture. And they're drawing different conclusions. What did the first group miss? Well, they quote Micah 3.12. Hezekiah, in response to the preaching of Micah and Isaiah, leads Judah in humble prayer. Now, if we just read, read the book of Kings, Hezekiah's a big hero, and he is. But it's even better in Isaiah because Isaiah, although he shares that same story, he also shares some of Hezekiah's missteps where he has to be rebuked by Isaiah and he takes too much credit for uh, a certain tunnel and uh, various things like that. And so in, in Isaiah... We see Hezekiah as a real person. He doesn't always do the right thing. He makes some missteps. But nonetheless, he leads Judah to repent and God intervenes. The second group does better exegesis, better Bible interpretation. They're reading their Bible more carefully. Bible study matters. And in our day as well, what do we learn? Well, first of all, we learned that any threat of judgment in the Bible, even if it doesn't mention hope, hope is always implied. God will always, even when there's no hope mentioned, you repent. You know, the famous one is Jonah, right? No message of hope. (laughs) You know, just, you're going to be destroyed in, you know, I think it was 30 days or whatever it was, 50 days. And they repented and God relented because that's what God's like. But the other lesson here, in our day also, many are quoting the Bible I'm telling you believer Christian or seeker you've got to know the Bible we've got to interpret it carefully we've got to interpret it in community many are quoting the Bible today are they true to the text can I live under grace without repentance what do you think Can I change the sexual ethics of the Bible and be blessed by God? Think. Can I end a life in the womb because I conclude their life will be just too hard? Is transformation of our lives even possible, or should I just resign myself to a life of disobedience? We need to look to the Word of God. Biblical truth matters scripture you know learn all you can but scripture and plain reason reason we need to say like martin luther the reformer said that my conscience is captive to the word of god that is what produces transformation because god responds to softness with mercy but there's a final important message that god has in times of apostasy The third way that God responds to us, where there's apostasy, God again raises up a remnant. Now we read about the murder of the prophet Uriah. And if you're reading the chapter, you're almost like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen to Jeremiah? But then there's that last verse 24. Ahikam, son of Shaphan, supported Jeremiah. So he was not handed over to the people he put to death. Now, this is not Josiah, right? The guy, well, actually, uh, these guys were in power. Uh, we learn, if you want to look at this, you might want to look at this. In 2 Kings 22, 12, under righteous King Josiah, who was a reforming king, his cabinet is mentioned, the key leaders in his reform administration, and it includes Shaphan and his son Ahikam. We'll see more in Jeremiah 36, but for now, Uh, You can look at Shaphan had two sons, Ahikam and Gamariah. And Gamariah had a son, Micaiah. And all of these men support Jeremiah in the midst of the evil rule of Jehoiakim. So it's not just when things are going great with Josiah, but even when there is uh, this evil king and the guy sits around and cuts up you know, prophecies from Jeremiah, burns him in the fire, he's, just, he's a hard of heart. He's a complete, given to various kinds of paganism, more than one actually. He's, he's a, kind of an all uh, equal opportunity pagan. Uh, and it would be easy to put your head down in times like that. But these guys stand up and they support Jeremiah in the midst of the rule of an evil king. And they're close to the fire. They're, we'll learn later. They're, they're in relationship with this guy. The point for us is this. Even in evil times, God has his people, not just Jeremiah's, but the ahikums of the world, planted in government, media, entertainment, and elsewhere, bringing leaven and sometimes saving lives. In times of evil, what is, rem, what is the remnant doing? And what we see here is sometimes the remnant is just living lives of quiet faith doing the right thing getting up in the morning seeking the Lord doing a good job at your job taking care of your family but what we see in these guys lives is that when the moment of truth comes they stand and they speak their whole life and the kingdom of God may have been made just for the two moments we see in Jeremiah 26 and 36 and maybe some of the times of Jeremiah and this is one of the things we have to understand is that you, you know, right now you think, oh man, I'm going to work and I'm just doing my thing. I'm paying my bills. What's God doing? Da-da-da-da-da, you know, and I'm trying to reach out to my neighbors and yeah, I'm doing a little bit. But, uh, you know, you, what's going on? God may be forming you for a moment you don't even recognize or understand. You couldn't know what's coming ahead of time. Every day it counts to build integrity. Every day counts for growing in the kingdom of God. And it may de- be a day of quiet faith, but there's other times when it's the time and you're the man or you're the woman and you stand up and you speak, and someone's life is saved, someone's reputation is saved, or some other good comes because God's got you in that position. So if you feel like that, be encouraged. God has you in that corporation or that school system, that hospital or entertainment industry or circle of relationships or club or team. Live it daily. And when the moment comes, like I come, speak. Speak. Speak on behalf of another. It may not be a speech, it may not be a sermon, but say what you need to say. Because God's third response during apostasy, God raises up a remnant. He's doing that today. God responds to us. To hardness, he'll bring judgment, try to get our attention. To softness, he brings mercy. But to the apostasy we see around us today, he responds by building a remnant. A couple questions as we close. What if you're sitting here today with life-controlling problems, compulsive sexual issues or alcohol or food or bitterness of soul? The wrong response is to say, well, I believe in Jesus, so I don't have to face it. No. The right response is confession, humility, and grace, relationship with God and relationship with others. Well, maybe you're sitting here today and your friend is in that spot. Same thing. Don't be afraid. Truth and grace, risk love to bring your friend closer to Jesus. There's always hope in Christ. You know, some of your friends are going to be like, you don't understand. I've been stuck in this thing for years. I go back and back and back. And, And you know what? We need to be, you may need to be the Christian friend that says, I'm going to walk with you and you're going to get free and you're going to be okay. And you're going to shine like a star for eternity. Or maybe you feel like a Jeremiah on trial for believing the truth. In Christ, let's imitate his courage and his grace. Pray with me today. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. Hallelujah. Your grace is what softens our hearts. You give us the yearning for yourself. Father, we're praying today for people that are struggling in their faith, maybe they're isolated. We're praying your grace, an email, a phone call, a text, a Google Meet, and their faith would be strengthened and encouraged. Father, we're praying for those that they're walking in you, the lives of solid, quiet faith, and they're, they're waiting and they're ready. Lord, we pray, lead them into, to speak that word of transformation, that word of hope that word of life to the friend that's struggling. Maybe speak life into a corporation or a school system, whatever it may be, Lord. Father, we're asking you to lay hands on your people today as they're listening to these words, Lord, meet them and may your word burn in their souls. May your heart burn in their souls. May even people come to mind and, and faces appear in their minds, they realize I can share something with that person. I can lift up that brother or sister. I can help that person make a step toward Jesus. Fill our souls today, Lord, that we recognize your work and your word. Father, thank you, Lord, that you're working with your remnant people in this society. You are doing something beyond what we could ever imagine or hope because you have a heart for every lost person in this nation, this world. So Father, use us in these days to share your life and your truth. We thank you so much, oh God. Pour out your spirit upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.